0: Happy to have you all with us, especially our guests and visitors today. I'll begin by reading from Rays of the One light uh, for this week's commentary and top topic. Can man see God? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within the following commentary is based on the teachings of paramhansa yogananda there is a saying in chapter 1 of the gospel of st john that would seem to correspond respond with a definite no to the question can man see god the saying is no man hath seen god at any time the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father he hath declared him Many great saints, however, claim to have seen God. If we ask then, can God be seen? Rather than can man see God? The answer is yes. Else those saints lied, and the scriptures themselves lied. For Jesus also said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The point is... It is not man, this human body, these human eyes, that sees God. God can be seen only with spiritual vision, with the eye of the soul. As the Bhagavad Gita puts it in the 11th chapter, Thou canst not see me with mortal eyes, therefore I now give thee sight divine. Behold my supreme power of yoga. With these words, Hari, the exalted lord of yoga, revealed himself to Arjuna in his infinite form. Paramhansa Yogananda, in Autobiography of a Yogi, describes the supernal experience in words more readily comprehensible to modern minds than the poetic phraseology of the Bhagavad Gita. The chapter An experience in cosmic consciousness is one of the most inspiringly beautiful in all mystical literature. Here is a brief excerpt. An oceanic joy broke upon calm, endless shores of my soul. The Spirit of God, I realized, is exhaustless bliss. His body is countless tissues of light. I saw the divine dispersion of rays pour from an eternal source blazing into galaxies transfigured with ineffable auras. Again and again I saw the creative beams condense into constellations then resolve into sheets of transparent flame. By rhythmic reversion sextillion worlds passed into diaphanous luster. Fire became firmament. I cognized the center of the Empyrean as a point of intuitive perception in my heart, irradiating splendor issued from my nucleus to every part of the universal structure. The creative voice of God I heard resounding as Aum, the vibration Of the cosmic motor. This, so the great masters aver, is what God is, and this also they insist is what we are in our deepest reality. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind.
1: read to you from Paramahansa Yerokananda's book of Answered Prayers from Whispers from Eternity. Teach me, O Father, to find Thee in the cave of my heart, that I may walk with Thee everywhere. Teach me to hear Thee in silence, that I may hear Thy voice beneath outer noises. Teach me to find Thee in inner peace, that I may be with Thee calmly in the midst of outer tumult. Habab or silence, Come alter peace, I care not so long as I, thou wilt teach me to find thee anywhere at any time. Years ago, actually before I moved to Ananda village, uh, I'd been meditating for probably about five years on a daily basis and then really dived into the teachings that Paramahansa Yogananda offered. And I was reading some something of Yogananda's on how to connect with God, how to commune with God. And I was just sitting by myself and this, this just deep wave of stillness came over me. And, and I felt just in that deep calmness, it was like a reviving, refreshing calmness. I felt there really is a reality in having the touch of the divine. It wasn't as if I saw God, as these readings say. It's more that we experience God in the way we're open to. But it was a very deep experience. Uh, It made me feel, one, that the possibility wasn't just metaphorical, that there was a divine. And two, I felt the grace of Yogananda in that experience. I felt that enlivening energy from His presence, very much a deep experience in me. Each one of us needs to start from where we're at, wherever that might be in this moment, uh, on our path of unfoldment, of really coming to the experience of the divine more and more. And there's some numerous stories that Jeannie had passed on that she'd gotten from the internet about a school setting. And the first one is, the teacher asks the student how do you spell crocodile? And the student says, K-R-O-K-O-D-I-A-L, crocodile. And the teacher says, that's wrong. And the student says, well, it may be wrong, but you asked me how I spell it. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, we, we know... What it really is in the end, perhaps, we've read the poem Samadhi, we know what that experience is, at least in a conceptual way. And then we need to make it perceptional from the concept into a perception itself. But we also need to realize there's a personal and a more expansive side of it. So uh, the teacher says to the student... Johnny, your, uh, your composition writing on my dog is the same as your brother's. Did you copy it? No, sir, it's the same dog. <laughs> well, there is only one God. And I don't know if you read this story that happened um, uh, in this last few weeks. This uh, uh, female professor, I think it... Dartmouth or something like that, one of the Eastern colleges, that um, basically said in some forum that the God of, uh, of Islam is the same God of Christianity. Believe me, the waves that came up from that, she had to resign. So she just resigned the other day because of that intensity of saying something like that. Because the world still is grappling with these finite, um, very tight definitions of what God is. And as we know from these teachings and from the teachings of yoga, that there is no way that any definition of the divine is entirely true. Because God is beyond that. It's like a working model that we're appreciating and making real at this moment. But unless we realize that there is only one dog, I mean God, um, (laughs) that... uh, Uh, you know, it's going to say, well, no, this is separate from you. Well, all that's separate is the definition. The reality isn't separate. And the more that we get out of the littleness of what we define as our experience and expand that, then, of course, there can only be one divine in, in this creation And there can be many expressions of that. So the expressions are important for us because, again, just like in the first story about spelling crocodile, we need to come from where we're at. We need to be real about what we're at. And if it's this or that, then let that be a starting point. And a starting point that always is then able to be a springboard into something more expansive and much more broad in that. Not only broad, but deep. So it's not left at that superficial level of what we conceive of. We want to again bring it from conception to that perception that's real in an expanded way. Well, the teachings of yoga, which really are the essence behind all teachings, it isn't a formal dogma, but more just a descriptive of what happens for the soul's journey, that we understand that there are aspects or attributes or expressions of the divine in creation. We also know that there's something beyond creation. And so we have this idea of God the Father beyond creation, God the Father, God the Son within creation, and God the Holy Spirit, the vibration within creation. And so that's that satat om, or we usually say it the other way, Om Tat Sat. Um, and we understand then it's, it's, it's more than just capturing something. It's as if we're looking through a, a window and what we're doing is we're making sure the window is clean and then the window disappears and then there's no separate. We come to that experience through that window, that opening. But the idea that God the Father is beyond all creation is part of the reality that God cannot be captured with our consciousness even. It's God the Father beyond is when we merge, and we're no longer there and there's no God. It's just that experience itself of purity in God. But there's no I to reflect back on that experience. And then God the God through the Son, the Christ consciousness, not necessarily Jesus, but the, the consciousness of Christ that Jesus expressed purely. It's really that experience of the divine in consciousness. And we come to that experience. We feel that, that power, that grace coming through us in the world we live. And then Om, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, is the vibration. It's that power of... Vibration that resonates in all things, that tracing it back, we come to it as the experience. As Bharat said in his wonderful book, Om, the Melody of Love. Isn't that a nice title? Om, the Melody of Love. Well, that experience there, the melody of love coming through us, is Om empowering us to be expanded, to be there with a sense of devotion and love. When you think about Om, Om is the divine mother within creation. So you can see why we refer to it as Om, the melody of love, because it's opening ourselves with that sense of connectedness with our hearts, with our openness of devotion to be in God. And that experience is very real. But the teachings of yoga also go on to express that there are these other aspects that are very real to us in the experiential way. Maybe at first they're more philosophical, um, that we, we are exposed to them and they remain aloof to some degree. But the emphasis in the teachings of yoga is never to remain satisfied with a teaching that is only intellectual or philosophical, but always to bring it into the experience of ourselves. So the idea that the divine, the God, the God that we know, can come through as light. That power of the inner light. That power of of being in the experience of that omnipresent light. Now we may have it to lesser degrees. We may not be merging into that light, but that's where we're trying to head. Because if you think about it, if you've ever had the experience uh, when you're in meditation, and either you see the inner light, perhaps at the spiritual eye at the Kudista. Um, or you you see the spiritual eye, you know, which is we we're aware of as a golden halo of light, and then there's a a blue field, and it's really more of a blue tunnel as you experience it. And then as you really are in that experience, there is a five-pointed silvery star. Well that's a universal experience. It isn't as if we say it is and so it is for us. It really is something that's universal for the soul call coming back to the divine. But if you've had any experience, even just a sense of light at the forehead or at the spiritual eye, you know how it can be, it's, especially if it's maybe the first time or so. It's like, wow. You know, you're sort of engrossed from here to it. And it. guess what happens, as we all know? It goes away. It, it's just gone because we've stepped out of the experience into I am experiencing it. And the, the uh, idea that makes it really work for us or the emphasis that really makes this deeper for us is to have always the sense of offering. So if we have that experience of the opening of the spiritual eye or just seeing the light, to feel that you're offering yourself more deeply into it rather than I'm experiencing it. Uh, and in that way, that light becomes again the per- true perception of the divine, with sound, as we just talked about. Om, that it's not that we want to just uh, listen for om, which is really how we emphasize in the technique of the om meditation technique. But that's sort of like the entry. What we want to do is then hear the Aum, not listen for it only, but hear it as an experience and then feel as if Om is resonating in your entire being. So there is no, again, separation. There's no Om happening. It is just you happening in Om in that experience. And then there's peace, which Yogananda said is sort of a... a version of calmness but it's sort of as he said like a weightless waterfall wonderful image, like a weightless waterfall you know that refreshing feeling of a waterfall but doesn't have the heaviness of it pounding on you that sense of just being in that embrace of that where the this, this cessation of anxiety and, and thoughts that have worry in them, we come into that calmness or that sense of peace within, that's very centering Very holistic. And then calmness, which is slightly different. Calmness is more dynamic. What I felt when I had that experience of that wave of stillness come over me was this powerful feeling of deep calmness. Where it was dynamic. It wasn't that I was sort of sitting back and this was happening to me. It felt like I was completely engaged in that calmness. It had that power with it as well, of really being lifted up in that experience of that stillness, knowing that the divine is indeed real in that way. And then we have love. Not so much personal love, of course, but more that unconditional divine love that reaches into that infinite love. That love is a quality. And it's more that are we open to the experience Are we open to that flow that's always there of that infinite, unconditional love is the question we have before us. It's not that if only I could have love in my life. That's really not the question because love is always there. It's more what we're really asking. Can I be open to the experience of that love that's always there? Can I offer myself without reservation to be in my heart in an expanded way so that love is the nourishing quality I feel in that experience. And once we touch on that unconditional divine love, it's a surety that we can then have that love in the world around us. We can share that love. We know that love with others, even with those that are our self-professed enemies. We feel we can still share that love, because it's not our love that we're recognizing. It's a divine flow of love that's coming through us that can touch others. And then there's bliss or joy. And that bliss or joy is said to be like a million experiences of happiness put together. So it isn't conditioned, it isn't limited, but is in that ongoing infinite experience of bliss. It's like taking, a, uh, you know, a candlelight outside into a sunny day like today. You can barely see the candlelight because it's so much engulfed in this other brighter light. It's like that. That when we really touch into the soul experience, that bliss comes, and we start to feel that it's untouched, untainted by experiences. It's not because things go well for us that uh, we feel this because sometimes we know that feeling when things haven't gone well for us uh, you know that we feel that touch and that experience of that joy that bliss and then we have the two remaining ones of wisdom but not not knowing things not the intellect being super refined although that may be a, an offshoot of, of having wisdom but more the sense of that intuitive perception, that intuitive experience of what the touch of the divine is. You know, it's, I was explaining um, to someone recently about uh, uh, visualization, that it's quite easy to use visualization to be entertained. And a lot of things that are out there in the meditation world are very entertaining using visualizations. They just sort of go on and they, they wrap your, your focus and all this imagery and it, it sort of actually does the opposite of what meditation is trying to do. There's a point in visualization that really makes it work as a force of going inside where you shift from the imagery into the sense of that imagery. You feel intuitively that experience you make that shift and in that shift you again separate from your watching something and you're feeling it you're sensing it from that intuitive center of who you are and it becomes real on a deepening level and again you feel more the divine presence rather than preparing for the divine presence of going somewhere with a technique You are in that experience. And finally, the eighth aspect of the divine is power or energy. And for many of us, it's a little bit more challenging personally to relate to it because normally we've associated power with our ego identification and that we have that sense of who we are from our ego more and we feel that empowerment in that way. But here we're talking about more the experience of, again, an infinite energy. And you can see why a hundred years ago this year that Paramahansa Yogananda developed the energization exercises for the very reason of really coming to the real direct perception of that energy, that power of the divine. So the energization exercises, of course, do a lot of things for us. Uh, They give us sense of being recharged and sometimes they're referred to as the rechargers but it's secondary to really this emphasis here that they're there to really allow us to directly experience the divine as that energy and that power in our lives so let these eight aspects don't rest as something we can appreciate but rather ways that we can experience And so, find in your own way, in your meditations, and throughout the day, the different ways where you create that unity of those aspects in your own life. And again, you know, you will need to spell crocodile the way that you spell it. You'll need to really come at this from where you're at, and really find that as a true experience. But don't waver on this. Don't rest in a passive way. And don't go forward in a a tense way with anxiety about, oh, that's right, I need to remember that I should do this. Let it become a sense of opening. You know, when we give a gift to someone, it's a sense of we're enjoying that offering. Well, let that be the same experience when you're working and tuning into these different aspects of the divine you're enjoying the offering to begin with rather than waiting for that enjoyment to come. Begin with that joy. Uh, Someone was telling to me, um, you know, in Kriya Yoga, once you've got initiation, you do repetitions of the Kriya technique or the breath. And normally you count on a mala or you count on your fingers. And this person was saying that it sort of felt like it was kind of uh, an intrusion or an obstacle to do this mundane physical thing when you're going into this deep inspiration. And I said to him, well, why separate the two? Let the counting be a devotional act. I mean, it'd be like you're putting a flower on the altar. Why not just have that same sense of devotion as you touch each bead on the mala or each part of the finger? we can always find the ways in our lives to bring that spirit and emphasis of offering always so that we will feel ourselves not waiting, but already in that experience of the divine. Let's take a moment to meditate.